Our scripture passage today is in Luke chapter 9, and I'll begin here in just a moment in verse 7, and we're going to go through verse 17, so if you'll make your way there, uh, we'll be there in just a moment. In a message entitled, The Sufficiency of Jesus, Jesus began his second preaching tour in Galilee in Luke chapter 8 with the preaching of the parable of the soils. Jesus showed that he has authority over the natural world, over the spiritual world, and also over disease and death. In the beginning of Luke chapter 9, we found that Jesus has great compassion toward all people who have need, and he's able to meet every need. He's beginning what amounts to sort of a new phase of his ministry in these verses that we're going to read here in just a moment. And we're going to read it in two parts. I'm going to first read verses 7 to 9 and give you a little bit of context about what's going on here. And then we'll pick back up with the verses that follow. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 7. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard of all that was done by him, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. Herod said, John, I have beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? So he sought to see him. Herod Antipas apparently had heard the things that Jesus and his disciples were doing. He wondered who Jesus truly was. Herod Antipas was the ruler of Galilee and Perea. You'll remember that his father was Herod the Great. Herod the Great, when Jesus was born, had all of the male children, two years old and under in the region of Bethlehem, killed because he was threatened by the baby that had been born. A couple of years before the event recorded in these verses, Herod Antipas had had John the Baptist thrown into prison because John the Baptist had challenged his sin. He had challenged his unrighteousness and he had spoken out against him and as a result of that John found himself in prison and then ultimately it cost him his head. Herod's wondering now is this John the Baptist that somehow has risen from the dead and is coming to judge me. The people of Israel knew according to the last chapter of the book of Malachi that the Lord was going to send Elijah before those last days and a type of Elijah and they're wondering if the amazing things that are going on is somehow connected to that. And then Herod's thinking, well, maybe it's just one of the old prophets that's risen. And I want to know who this man really is. I want to know what's going on. And then we pick up in verse 10. It says, the apostles, when they had returned, told him, being Jesus, all that they had done. Then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him, and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. Verse 12, when the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions for we are in a deserted place here. But he, Jesus, said to them, you give them something to eat. 
And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And then he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So they all ate and were filled and 12 baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. In the verses immediately preceding this in Luke chapter 9 verses 1 through 6, the point is made that God is a sending God. Jesus is a sender. We know from our New Testament understanding that the early church was a sending church. And by virtue of us following after the Great Commission, we too are a sending church. And what we're sending people into is the kingdom of God, to do the work of God. And this kingdom of God continues to be a prominent theme in the ministry and the teaching of Jesus as he sends his own disciples out. He had just sent his own disciples on a mission of preaching, and they had returned. They undoubtedly had some incredible stories to share with Jesus. And I can imagine when they all got back after they had seen things happen and they'd gone in the power and the authority of the Lord, that they got back, they were probably each competing for the ear of the Lord. They're telling their perspective of what had taken place. Hey, hey, Jesus, let me tell you about what happened over here. Let me tell you about what, ha- what happened with this man. Let me, let me tell you what happened with this child. And they're sharing with Jesus, and there's a little bit of a flurry of activity. And Jesus says, boys, we got to get away and get some rest. So they try to get away from the crowds. They're headed toward a deserted place, belonging, as it says here in the Scripture, to the city of Bethsaida. But because of the notoriety of Jesus and his ministry in the Galilean region, it was almost impossible to draw away. The crowds continually pressed in. Even when they would try to get away, the crowd would intercept them or show up where they were, and all of a sudden, the needs are again presented before them. You see, the multitudes knew where they were. They followed Jesus. But the thing that we note about Jesus is that Jesus received them, and was compassionate toward them. He spoke of the kingdom of God. Again, this theme that is coming again and again in the scripture. And he healed those who needed to be healed. I think this in and of itself is a picture to us of the importance of having compassion for people and taking time for people who are in need. Jesus never acted agitated. He never acted like people were an interruption to his life. He knew that he had come to serve and that we as examples of Christ are also to serve in this world. And the disciples thought that they could convince Jesus to send the people away in this moment. Matthew and Mark both mention in their accounts of the story specifically that Jesus had compassion on the multitude. Mark tells us that Jesus had compassion on the multitude because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Interestingly, this is the only miracle that appears in all four Gospels, and it has one purpose, and that one purpose of this miracle is to produce faith in Jesus. The miracles are never intended just for the excitement of the miracle itself. 
They're always intended to teach us something about the Lord and to point people to faith in Jesus. And that's the point of this miracle as well. So I want to show you from this story that Luke shares with us here some things that we learn both about people and about the Lord and then about ourselves. First, we are reminded that the needs of people are great. The needs of people are great. The fact that this many people would go to this great of a length to get where Jesus was is a reminder of how many needs they actually had. Now, they thought that their greatest need was physical healing. There were all sorts of problems among the people. There were people that couldn't see. There were people that couldn't hear. There were people who had physical limitations and were lame and had all sorts of problems. They were diseased. There were, uh, without a doubt, people who were dying in the crowd. And by the end of a long day, not only did they have a physical need, but their immediate need was that they were hungry. They needed to be fed. And the Bible is clear that God, as our shepherd, cares about people holistically. God cares about both physical needs and spiritual needs. Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And God, as the shepherd in the Old Testament, is constantly watching out for people. He's loving and ministering to and helping people who are in an hour of need. Proverbs 19 and verse 17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 22 and verse 9 says, Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Isaiah 25 and verse 4 says, For you have been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shade from the heat. These people were people in need. And if you look at the world through spiritual eyes, through the lens of Scripture, with the help of the Holy Spirit, you will see that people have many needs. And then we as the people of God, as we see them, will respond in a way that will honor God and help them at their point of need. But I want to take this a step further because whether or not the people in the crowd realized it, their greatest need was not ultimately physical healing. Their greatest need was not ultimately to have their bellies full. Their greatest need was spiritual. And the point is, Jesus could both heal their bodies and fill their stomachs and meet their spiritual need from a faith perspective. And Jesus was concerned with teaching them about the kingdom of God. And the reason he was teaching them about the kingdom of God is because the kingdom of God is about spiritual matters. The kingdom of God is about eternal matters. It's about how to be right with God and then how to live for God and how to serve others. You remember the kingdom of God is the overarching rule and reign of God over all things. It was inaugurated in a sense in the presence of Jesus on the earth. It's manifested in our hearts when we know Christ 
through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And even still, it is yet to come because the full realization of the kingdom of God and all that it will be has not yet come. And in this kingdom of God is wrapped up the greatest spiritual needs of all. And the same remains true today. And I think, unfortunately, sometimes there's a sharp division between recognizing human needs and spiritual needs. In fact, there's sometimes a false dichotomy, and it doesn't have to be one or the other. We think, well, if we meet physical needs, then somehow uh, we're giving in to some type of social gospel or something, which is absurd if we also have a spiritual uh, focus in it. Or we might say we're only going to meet spiritual needs, but if a man's hungry, he might not be able to listen to the spiritual message that we have for him. And understand that if a church or believers only provide human needs without meeting spiritual needs, the effort will always fall short because it doesn't focus on what is ultimately and eternally important. But when we recognize needs holistically as God recognizes needs, and we love people as God has first loved us, then we can meet both an immediate need and have the opportunity to speak into an eternal need through the gospel. Recognizing and ministering to human needs with compassion, meeting people where they are, can provide us opportunities for God to do a work in their lives. The needs of people are great. Second, we recognize the needs of people can be addressed as we serve Jesus. The needs of people can be addressed as we serve Jesus. Now, Jesus was about to perform a miracle. The miracles were intended to authenticate the messenger so that the people would believe the message. Now, I want to say that again because this is very important in a New Testament context particularly, that the miracles are not simply for some type of uh, magnificent display for the wonder of the people or for the excitement of the crowds or to somehow just stir up the people. That wasn't the point. The miracles authenticated the messenger and the messengers were delivering a message and God was speaking through both the miracles and the messengers to get the message into the hearts of the people. He wanted them to believe in Jesus. Remember, Jesus, in his ministering to the people, even when he was asked to do things for just simply a sense of wonder, at times refused the sign that the people were seeking. Now, Jesus said to his disciples here in verse 13, you give them something to eat. That seems simple enough. But this was a significant challenge. And the reason it was a significant challenge is because Jesus was challenging them to meet the needs of the people. But in challenging them to meet the needs of the people, the disciples would quickly recognize that they didn't have the capacity to meet the needs of the people. And this was also a moment in which the disciples were being taught a lesson on how to trust. They had just been sent out on their first mission trip, their first preaching journey. Uh, it was a short one, and Jesus told them to take nothing with them but to trust that they would have provision, and they did. And now here they are, 
they're still learning how to depend on the Lord. Do you know that's kind of how we are as well? God gives us these lessons along the way, and they're kind of like a, we get a primer lesson, and they're building up to the bigger lesson, and, and God is teaching us to trust Him as we go along. And I would go so far as to say that the Christian life is a series of opportunities to learn how to trust God. And no matter if you've been a Christian for a year or 40 years, you're still where you're learning to trust God more and more each day. It's a, it's a faith-building exercise. So maybe as you look at this miracle today, what God is saying to you is learn how to trust me. Learn how to look to me for my, for my provision. Learn how to trust God for what I need. And there were about 5,000 men in the crowd that day. Along with women and children, it's not unreasonable to think there might have been two times as many people in the number in total. There were perhaps as many as 10,000 people gathered. That is a lot of hungry people. And yet Jesus was about to meet the needs through his servants. The Bible teacher Warren Wiersbe said, when you combine all four accounts of this miracle, you find that Jesus first asked Philip, where they could buy enough bread to feed such a great crowd. He was only testing Philip, for he knew himself what he was intending to do. In the crisis hours of life, when your resources are low and your responsibilities are great, it is good to remember that God already has the problem solved. And Jesus started with what they had, a few loaves and fishes that were generously donated. The disciples rightly noted that they didn't have sufficient resources to meet the needs of an overwhelming crowd. They said, all we've got are five fishes, or five loaves and two fishes. And unless we go and buy food for all these people, we, we can't meet the need. That in itself was an absurd statement. They could have taken everything that they had, and they wouldn't have even been able to feed a small component of the crowd, much less feed thousands of people that were before them. And how Jesus chose to perform this miracle is important. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus could have called down manna from heaven. It had happened before. There could have been plenty of food. Just pick it up and eat it. Uh, he could have spoken a word and supplied each individual dramatically in that moment with uh, with a meal, uh, kind of like their version of a, a boxed dinner. That would have been a sort of a dramatic uh, display. He could have called angels to come and to deliver the food. It was within his power. But note what he did. He used his disciples to serve and to meet the needs of people. And today, God uses his servants, to meet the needs of people. Let me state it another way. People are the primary method that God uses to reach a lost world spiritually and to minister to a hurting world physically. And it's in that moment when we come to the end of our strength that we find out just how capable our God is. God brings us to the end of ourselves when we find out that we're not sufficient, that we're not able, that we can't meet the need on our own. And it's in that moment of our insufficiency that faith bridges the gap to the sufficiency of God, and we realize that He 
is able. Did you know that Jesus can use tired people to serve him? Maybe you're a little bit weary today. Jesus can use you. He used his disciples. They just came back from their preaching time, and they needed rest. Even Jesus knew that they needed rest. They wanted to send the people away first, but yet Jesus used them. Jesus can use busy people. After all, the needs of the crowds were continually pressing in on our Lord. They were continually pressing in on the disciples. Jesus can use people who have limited resources. Not only did they only have a small amount of food, they couldn't have bought the food if they had to, or perhaps even found the supply. And yet God worked through them to meet the needs of people. And you might be one of those people that says, someday I'm going to serve the Lord. I, I don't have enough time right now. If your attitude is that you don't have enough time to serve God, you will never serve God as you should. You might say, well, someday when I have more resources, then I'm going to be more generous and I'm going to serve God more faithfully. Friend, if you're waiting to, until you have more resources to serve God and you think somehow then you're going to start serving him, you will never serve God faithfully as you should. You bring what you have however meager or great it is, and you surrender it to Jesus. And you recognize that a little is much when God is in it. And when you yield your inadequacy to the Lord, He will do as He pleases. Matthew records that Jesus called for the bread and the fish to be brought to Him specifically. That's an important detail because that's the emphasis. You bring what you have to the Lord, and God will display His sufficiency in the midst of your insufficiency. The Lord expects us to bring what we have to Him, and then He'll use it as He sees fit. Third, we realize the needs of people can be satisfied only in Jesus. Only in Jesus. Jesus told the disciples, have them sit down and get them in groups of 50. They're organizing the people so that they can serve them. And in that moment, Jesus takes the bread and he takes the fish and he looks up to heaven and he blessed and broke it and he gave to his disciples to distribute the provision. Now the blessing and the giving of thanks were an acknowledgement of provision from God. That's a good life practice in all that we do. To recognize that all that we have has come from the good hand of a generous God. And to ask his blessing on it. And we're not given the content specifically of what the blessing was. But I think it's very possible that he might, given a, might have given a traditional blessing as he lifted his eyes to heaven as it is recorded in the Mishnah. Blessed be you, O Lord, our God, King of the world, who causes bread to come forth from the earth. Jesus in the presence of the people, blessing what God was providing. And undoubtedly, when the food started to be distributed, there was a hearty amen among the crowd. And the miraculous result is communicated very simply. Look again in verse 17. He just says very plainly, so they all ate and they were filled. They all ate and they were filled. 
thousands of people with very little food sitting in these groups spread out and there's plenty to the glory of God they were filled and satisfied that's the same word interestingly that's used in the beatitude back in Luke chapter 6 and verse 21 where it says blessed are you who hunger for now for you shall be filled so there's a direct connection here between the food that Jesus supplied and the eternal satisfaction that God gives that you, a person would be filled or satisfied with all that they need. And not only did Jesus give, he kept on giving. In fact, they took up 12 baskets of leftover fragments. Is it not the nature of God to bless abundantly with his grace and then keep on giving super abundantly? I mean, you cannot exhaust the grace of God. It's not as though you come to the point of salvation and you receive the grace that justifies you and sanctifies you and sets you apart in Christ. And then you've got the only supply of grace that you ever have. God's grace is overflowing. It's to every point that we need in life. He's there and he is sufficient. And I want to say to you today that this story is all about Jesus. It's not really about the miracle. It's about Jesus. It sets forth the deity of Jesus. It presents to us the sufficiency of Jesus. And the miracle itself, as well as the placement of it, makes it clear. Because right before the miracle, we read how Herod asked the question, Who then is this that I hear such things about? And then the words that immediately follow the miracle are uh, the words of Jesus questioning, Who do you say that I am? And then Peter's response So Herod's asking, who is this man that I'm hearing such great things about? Jesus is going to ask, who do you say that I am? And right in the middle, there's this beautiful picture that he's the Lord over all. He's sufficient. He's the Christ. And he is enough. And I say to you that the whole miracle is symbolic. That I believe it's a parable in a sense of the gospel. The poor and helpless crowd is a picture of humanity. We are sinners, helpless on our own, without the intervention of God. The gracious teacher who had compassion on the people is none other than the Lord himself, who is always compassionate and kind, ready to show mercy uh, to the undeserving. The disciples who distributed the miracle represent all who will faithfully proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God. And the provision that Jesus made is a picture of the gospel itself, which is the power of God into salvation. And God will use you and he'll use me to deliver the bread of life to those who are hungry. Jesus is more than enough. He's more than enough. He will withhold nothing from you that is spiritually good and beneficial for you. And when you look to Jesus, you can know he's more than enough. Father, thank you for the insight into the life and the ministry of Jesus that shows us his sufficiency in all things. We honor and glorify our king. God, sometimes we are prone to depend on ourselves and our limited resources and 
times it's only in those moments that we get to the end of ourselves that we realize just how able you are. I'd ask you, Lord, that we'd not depend on ourselves, but we would look to you and we would find our hope and our strength and our purpose and our identity in the sufficiency of Christ. May that be the character of our lives, of our ministry, of this church. And help us to be faithful to proclaim the message of the kingdom of God. And that in it, many would come to know that Jesus is more than enough. So God, may we meditate on these truths even in this coming week. And draw close to you as we do. Maybe there's somebody who has never received this good news, who's never come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and trusted in the bread of life to satisfy their spiritual need of forgiveness and reconciliation and redemption. I pray that by faith they would call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. We'll give this time of close over to you, stir our hearts for whatever steps of faith we need to take, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.